Hey guys, this is Gabriel. I'm just coming in real quick to say that there was a uh, a bit of an issue with our guest Ryan's recording. Um, it'll occasionally just like skip a second or half second here or there. So it's going to sound a bit choppy when he's talking, but after a little while it clears up and you don't hear any more of the rest of the recording. So sorry about that. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, still a really fun discussion and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 47 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, not too well. I've basically been in bed the uh, last two days with a pretty nasty cold, and I probably shouldn't be talking this much right now, but uh, you gotta do what you gotta do. The podcast demands it. Absolutely. And today we are joined by a guest, Ryan Wall. Welcome to Underrated. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Uh, so you just want to you know, introduce yourself and uh, whatever you might be up to online? Sure. Uh, uh, my name is Ryan, obviously. <laughs> um, Hi, Ryan. I'm chief editor of the Article Asylum website. Uh, Article Asylum is just a group of nerds talking about uh, everything in nerd culture from uh, movies, comics, video games. And uh, yeah, we're... We're looking to expand into different different medias. We've got a YouTube. Uh, you can find it under Article Asylum at Twitter. And articleasylum.wordpress.com is our website right now. Uh, there you can find lots of content for nerds out there. Uh, I'm sure a lot, a lot of the listeners you have would really appreciate it. And uh, you can even find a bit of Jim's work there as well because uh, he's a contributor there. And, and we're, we're glad to have him. So, <laughs> yeah, Y'all are one of those like DC clickbait sites, right? Oh, clickbait is a strong word, my friend. <laughs> we deliver on we but deliver yes. on what's behind those headlines. All right. <laughs> also, Batman is not a part of the cinematic universe. Confirmed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> my next working article. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, since uh, you are the guest this week, uh, the film we're looking at is your pick. Uh, what are we looking at this week? Uh, Enemy at the Gates, two thousand one film starring Jude Law. It's a good one. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's really, it's underappreciated. All right. Uh, so before we get uh, move on, I'd like to ask you guys if you enjoy the show to please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, and also like us on Facebook. That would make us very very happy. Um, and before we get into the main review, uh, have either of you seen any cool movies this week that you want to mention? Let's start with uh, you, Ryan. Uh, yeah, most recently, I'm, I'm late to the ball here, but uh, I most recently saw Dunkirk. That's the most recent new movie I've seen. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's not a typical war movie by any nation, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a good time. Uh, it was. Uh, I can't really say too much about it. It's just one of those things you just have to experience for yourself. And uh, I, th- I think it's definitely worth a watch, and especially in IMAX if you have the option near you. Go see it in IMAX. It's worth it. Absolutely. That's a pretty incredible film. All right, and uh, how about you, James? Uh, I actually haven't seen any movies since we last recorded, um, but I have been watching uh, the show Fringe. I started it probably about three years ago and got well into season three, and I forget what happened, but I just completely dropped out, and I've regretted it for like three years, and so now I'm living in an apartment with my brother and sister, and we're we all enjoy it, so we've decided to start it back from uh, episode one, season one, and re-go through it. And 
I've forgotten almost everything about it over the course of three years, so I'm getting to re-experience it. And if you enjoy kind of out there stories, but with really strong performances and really good writing and really, really impressive world building with like an airtight continuity, I recommend this show. It's uh, it's what J.J. Abrams did after Lost. And I, it's to me, it's one of my favorite shows. So definitely a recommendation from me. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that. All right. Uh, and I have seen absolutely nothing. As I said, I was in bed sick. So, but I did uh, read a little bit of uh, the Aquaman Rebirth, which is uh, very enjoyable. But otherwise, yeah, nothing on my end. You've probably read more Rebirth than I have at this point. <laughs> makes me sad. I'm, I'm not at all caught up in comics yet. <laughs> not, not even a little. All right. Uh, so anything else you guys want to mention before we move into the main topic? Yeah, I think we're good to go. I think I'm ready. All right, let's begin our review for Enemy at the Gates. Enemy at the Gates was released in 2001. It was directed by Jean-Jacques Arnaud, uh, pardon my French. Uh, <laughs> it had a budget of $68 million. It only grossed $97 million. It stars Jude Law, Joseph Fiennes, Rachel Weisz, Ed Harris, Bob Hoskins, Gabriel Marshall Thompson, and Ron Perlman. Uh, and it was written by Jean-Jacques Arnaud and Alain Godard. And it was shot by Robert Frez, and the score was composed by James Horner. Um, so this being your pick, Ryan, uh, why don't you tell us why you brought this one on? Well, I, I, I movies. Part part of why I went to see Dunkirk, obviously. But <laughs> uh, anytime I talk about war movies with uh, people who are at least partially familiar with them, you know... Um, a lot of times I'll bring up Enemy at the Gate. A lot of people just haven't seen it, um, which is really a shame. I mean, it's not groundbreaking, I would say, but uh, it's, really, it's definitely got merits, and, and I really appreciate them, but I, I just, I, you know, the whole idea of this podcast is uh, they're underrated, and I think it really is underrated. There's some good performances here, some some good scenes, you know, that I think are iconic uh, that you can even see in Call of Duty. <laughs> But but a lot of people don't know where it comes from, and that's really frustrating. I think it deserves a bit more credit than it, than it's gotten. Yeah, that was one of my next questions. Have you played Call of Duty? Uh, because <laughs> they rip off gigantic swaths of this movie. I mean, obviously it's a war that actually happened, but so many of the scenes you could play through like Call of Duty 1, 2, and uh, World at War. I know like yep. the entire beginning sequence with the bullets or – crawling through pipes and all the sniper battles yep it's it's all in this movie <laughs> yeah yep uh, it's it's funny because um i actually saw the movie before i played world at war and and, and when i played uh when i saw the movie i was like you know this is awesome and, and then when i played world at war i was like oh oh look <laughs> so, so that that was really interesting yeah i, I love the uh the sniping aspect of it. I think it's some of the best sniping done on film. It's just uh, more thoughtful uh, in its execution. And I, I really like, uh, particularly with like the fountain scene, that was, that was really well done. The fountain. Yeah. They're lying in wait in the fountain. Oh, the opening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, there's one of them's like taking a quick shower and stuff. And they use the, 
sound of bonners to the gun. Yeah, I experienced those two things in the opposite order. I I've played Call of Duty for as long as I can remember, though I've always preferred the originals, the the more fact-based ones. And ironically enough, the character you play as in Call of Duty 2 is named Vasily. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> so after having played that for so long, what and then watching this movie for the episode, I I then had the oh, so this this is where it originated from. Uh, but I agree. There are some scenes in this movie that are just really well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like this should be like the definitive sniper movie. I'm not sure if it is. It is for me at least. But just for how, how well it explores, you know, what it's like or what, what it was like in the World War II to be a, you know, a sniper on the ground. How, they're kinda, how they did their, their tactics and um, – and you know, just the kind of person you would have to be to be able to, you know, sit still for a day at a time, and and that, but still, you know, be alert enough for that split second to take that shot if it appears. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and I think Julie's a very uh, introverted role as Vasily, um, but I think that's appropriate. Like we said, because it is a sniper, it is somebody with a lot of patience, somebody who best to take the time but yeah I think it's a it's a bit different than what we get from typical uh, action flick heroes you know he's he's a lot more humble and a lot more quiet and I think that's perfect for a sniper and I, I did like that aspect of it and and the silly uh, actually is a real historical figure granted that it's a movie there's a lot of embellishments but it's uh, it's really and, uh, there's something about Law and also Ed Harris they have this really steely look in their eyes that yes. I believe that even though they might be a very nice person, they could turn around and just kill you. There's just something about the look in their eyes that this film really plays up that you believe they could be this kind of person because, you know, I don't know if I could do that. You know, it's one thing, you know, enemy at a distance charge at you, you have to shoot at them, but, you know, to be in that position of power where you are watching them for a while and you're looking right in their eyes and then... With them not even knowing you there and you have to make the choice to kill them, that's that's got to be rough. Yeah, I really like both of them in the role. It was weird because as, as people, they're both very different from each other. But in those moments where they're both, you know, behind the scope, I completely buy that they're both thinking the same thing. Like, personality kind of goes out the window and it's just these two people with these, you know, this complete laser focus on whatever they're doing and it doesn't really feel like acting it feels like i'm watching two people be completely taken over by instinct and i I just thought that was really cool that there's so much attention on the faces and even the eyes during these scenes that you really feel like the movie is helping you focus in on on their focus so i i really like the sniper scenes and the way that the actual like directing and acting came together to create this isolated feeling of tension yeah yeah i also like how um ron perlman's character whose name escapes me but uh it, I, I like how his character e- even though all sniper is is a bit of a foil to those two you know he's more eccentric and um disillusioned <laughs> i would say than than i so <laughs> so he carries that role really well i think uh 
that 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 was one of the highlights of the film for me. He's not there long, but he he, he brings a, a comic relief that I think was necessary in a bleak, otherwise bleak film. Yeah, I I think he was my favorite character for his, you know, five minutes of screen time. <laughs> yeah. I really love you know the kind of ironic commentary he had you know, running along whatever no matter what he was doing, you know whether, whether he's you know, waiting for the Germans to finally send out their, their uh, photo repairman or raising the helmet. It's just, he's just writing this kind of running commentary on life. Yeah. And it, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. It's his thing about the pants too, how he's up so upset about a <laughs> bullet hole in his pants. <laughs> it's nice. It I feel like it provides context to his character, you know? I mean, he is only there for a little bit, but dialogue like that makes makes it feel like he he was still a real person outside of his short screen time. Right. Right. And when he, when he talks about uh talks about being tortured for <laughs> for being a supposed traitor and uh having his teeth knocked out, he he carries it like a, a bitter chipperness, <laughs> you know, like it's it's kind of funny. Uh got an ironic dark humor. I just I I appreciated his character for the short screen time he had. He owned that role. And, and made it worth worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you were talking earlier about the direction of the uh, sniper scenes, and uh, you talk about how the director kept the uh, this you know laser like focus on the characters in the moment. But he was also I, I really was impressed by how he laid out the geography of all the different like sniper duels. Yes, you could always you know you could tell where each person was in, in relation to the other. And you know, you know, if they move in any in any way wherever they are, they, they can get shot. And you you can you can like tell the different tactics each person is using. It's just really great, you know, visual storytelling to just get you immediately into the moment. And he he uses tension really well. Just there are some really incredible sequences, like the uh, the the entire scene where uh, Vasily is trapped behind the the wood stove um, in the factory mm. is really uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I like also that they had uh, several minor characters, including Ron Perlman's character, who who were uh, killed in sniper fire, and it gives us you know some more context for how dangerous it really is, you know, and uh, you know it's not just people ducking for no reason, you know, it you, you can feel the danger. I, I really appreciated that because uh, it could be any second, you know, one mistake is all it takes, and it's just. I, I can't harp on this enough, but those sniper scenes were, were definitely iconic and some of the best that uh, that I think any war movie has ever done. Yeah, or, or even, you know, not, not a mistake, just following the rules, but against an opponent opponent who's just a little bit smarter than you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think including those characters are pretty necessary for the movie because, like you said, without them, you, you lose that sense of danger and Unless you see, I forget her name, if, if she was even given a name in the movie, but the first girl who dies when they're lured into the trap, or, or the guy before her um, with the mustache who gets shot, and then Ron Perlman, I think those deaths are part of the reason why these scenes feel so tense. Because as you said, we've seen what mistakes cost in this, and so we're, we're able to have this game of cat and mouse play out over the course of an entire movie, and clearly we know no one's going to die until the very end. And yet, even because we know that 
we still have all of this sense of tension and dread because of what we're consistently seeing during every scene. And then to talk about what you had said, Gabe, the, the balancing act to me is super impressive between having it feel like we're in this lone room with the sniper who like I, I was almost afraid to move while watching it as I'm watching like Jude Law not even dare to slightly twitch his face. And yet we still, like you said, have a good idea of the geography of the area and we know the consequences of so-and-so moving here. And if this person moves here, that changes his view. It, it's almost like we're being made, at least I felt like I was being made aware of the geography without really knowing it because the entire time I still felt almost a sense of claustrophobia, even though we're being given these big wide open landscape shots. It's always just to tell us what the snipers are seeing without ever really taking us out of that, that really closed in sense of uh, isolation. Yeah. I find myself trying to find them in frames. <laughs> yeah. The wide shots just make you more nervous. Like, I should be seeing them by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and beyond just the sniper battles, uh, the entire portrait that is painted of the war, I thought was incredibly immersive. And it just, it, I think a lot of that was thanks to just a pretty astonishing opening sequence, both, you know, just from just the, the production design, but also I think the, the storytelling, how it drops us instantly into the battle it gives us the stakes. It 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 uh, shows us, you know, how brutal the communists were. <laughs> you know, you either you you run towards the enemy. You might not even be armed, but either you win or you die. And if you have to retreat, they'll kill you. Yeah. So it just it gave us the pol kind of the political climate. It gave us you know, the brutality of the war, and then gave us a chance to see, to have Vasily show off his skills and and. Uh, began this friendship with uh, uh, Joseph Fine's character, you know, all in that opening sequence. It's a really great bit of storytelling in how much ground it covers uh, in so little time. Yeah, it's a def it's definitely a good case study in show not tell. Um, and, and I like that our our first bit of exposition comes after that with Bob Hoskins as Khrushchev explaining basically what we just saw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but not in a a condescending kind of way, just in a uh, a, a very political way. And I, 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 that's another thing I want to bring up is actually just how oh, he was plenty condescending. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> to the viewer, I mean, to the to to the viewer, it wasn't condescending. To the characters, obviously, it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I I did I I agree that opening is great. It, it almost feels like it belongs to a different movie in a good way because. We couldn't have got that scene anywhere else. Um, we needed that that sense of scope and scale in the beginning to show us what's at stake for these characters and what what failure costs and and that really there's no winning side here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, 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 no matter which side wins, you lose kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I did like that aspect of it, but we couldn't have gotten it anywhere else because after that, it does become a very uh, focused narrative. It becomes a very uh, cat and mouse type sniper movie, and and uh, yeah, I, that opening Stalingrad sequence was just so choice. <laughs> and what I liked about that scene was 
it it starts off almost like other war movies, except you know, better shot than many. And then I think I think by including that scene and like you said, including at the beginning, it highlights the difference between that kind of warfare and the cat and mouse that snipers play. You know, we we start off mm-hmm. with a familiar feeling, you know, just lines of soldiers running at each other, and it feels even though the cinematography is just fantastic, I think I think the way this movie presents war, whether it's just the the tension building of the sniper scenes or just this huge epic scope and these all-encompassing camera shots, it's, it presents it fantastically. Um, but by opening it up in a somewhat familiar way and then changing fairly quickly after to this different kind of warfare that's not always shown, to me just... It's really helpful in contrast, uh, contrasting the different kinds of war and why, why the, just the kind of soldier Vasily was is different from most of the people on the ground. Yeah, yeah, and I, I did like also that there was a. This was also a deeply political movie in some ways, you know. Um, it 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 did have elements starting with Khrushchev's inclusion as you know with Bob Hoskins doing a a great job for yet another small role, uh, but uh, just the way they were trying to capitalize on on uh, war heroism, war journalism, you know, and and just uh, trying to make the best of it. It's, it's so funny because in the real story we don't actually really know how successful Vasily was and how much was fabricated. So, so I mean, it, it's, it's just nice to see that angle of things. And, and this is very different from your typical, like, uh, and, and don't get me wrong. I love it. I love saving private Ryan, but in that side you have, in that movie, you have two very clear sides. One you're supposed to root for one. You're not in this movie. It's a lot muddier. <laughs> a lot more gray area and I, I did appreciate that 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 was one thing that was really neat yeah i really do applaud the film's willingness to portray you know the soviet regime for what it was and it was that, that's just horrible you know there really weren't much if any better than the nazis you know in how they treated their own troops you know they probably treated their own troops worse than, than the nazis did uh and, you know, just from the opening, you know, they, they send them into battle. One person has a gun, one person has five bullets and go run till you die. And, you know, how when uh, Hoskins comes in, uh, I'm just going to call everybody by their, actor, their actor's names. I'm not going to try to speak Russian for this. Uh, <laughs> when he comes in uh, and the, like the, the political, the political officers, their suggestions are, you know, well, execute all, execute all the officers and uh, all their staff too. That, that, that's just... It it just is upfront about you know what 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 that uh, uh, political regime was like, and I loved how they portrayed you know the propaganda war, uh you know how they're they they're they're real, they're sending these guys out to die like rats, so they have to you know keep pumping them up with this uh probably mostly fabricated uh narrative of you know the sniper Vasily. Uh, who's slaughtering all the Germans single-handedly. And I think it's interesting that it's actually, you know, it's that propaganda that makes probably not it's not even what Vasily actually did that me- makes them actually send in the counter-sniper. So it's kind of like, you know, them you know, overstepping the narrative creates this whole other problem they, they have to deal with. That was a really just fascinating look at the whole balance of all that. 
Yeah, yeah, and and it th- that's a theme that carries on a lot through uh, Joseph Fiennes' character. I'm going to slip up. I'm going to call him Ralph Fiennes at some point. Forgive me. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, his character um, does go through an arc of um, uh, – there's not really a better way to say it – of doublethink. But yeah, Joseph Fiennes' character was um, – was interesting just because it did carry through that that political angle at the beginning throughout the film and served in a love triangle which I'm not too fond of but we'll I guess we'll come to that but uh, overall I did like his character and his performance was just fine it's just uh, I did like the the political angle of that before we get into his character and what we thought about everything that he was involved in there were a couple of things y'all mentioned that I did want to talk about. One of them was just the way it portrayed the Russian troops. That's part of the reason why I think I'll end up remembering this movie. It's because we've seen several World War II movies. Uh, and we, we kind of know what battle looks like, at least for Americans, what it was like to charge in. We've seen D-Day portrayed several times. We've seen all of these different um, historical moments portrayed from an angle that's very familiar to us, but it was something almost entirely new, at least for me, to see troops, you know, terrified to turn back because their officers are holding guns to them, to see these these men on these huge pedestals waving around giant red flags with these megaphones, and then to be reading aloud letters from moms, you know, urging them onward for the motherland. It, It was an entirely different kind of feeling going into battle than we've ever really seen portrayed and i do think it's you know it's confidence and uh dedication to an accuracy to not try to sugarcoat that for the sake of us getting on board with our protagonists he is still a likable character and it's very easy to root for him but they don't shy away from portraying the the russian army the way it, it, it was in real life and that was just something completely new to me it was so foreign to see these officers behaving this way in such an antagonistic way. It was really interesting to watch. And then talking about the the way it presents propaganda, one of the things I liked mm-hmm. this was that it it almost presents the story as if most of the propaganda was kind of true. Like it Vasily seemed to be the exact way you feel like in Call of Duty. It, you know, in Call of Duty by the end of a mission you've killed a hundred and so people. You know, that's that's almost never the case for anybody who's in war. But like with the opening like, fountain scene, as bomb after bomb drops and he's timing them perfectly and he drops this entire group of people, it feels larger than life and like something that wouldn't really happen. But the movie's almost portraying this kind of just uncanny kind of soldier as reality in the movie that is pretty interesting uh i'm not really sure of another movie that does that that kind of plays up the the exaggeration of war while still kind of feeling like it's very much grounded in the reality of war commando (laughs) okay (laughs) aside from commando (laughs) yeah yeah i i i do want to i do want to mention as well like um not just the officers but the um the day-to-day soldiers, the, the militiamen, the people that just live there that are just trying to get by. I mean, the abject, the abject, abject poverty of it all. Um, 
I, I, I did appreciate that angle as well, and, and I love that they were unafraid to show that instead of, you know, sugarcoating it. And, you know, they, they could have avoided that if they wanted to, but I did like that, you know, we got to see these Russian people who, I'm not even really sure what they're fighting for besides survival. Motherland. <laughs> <laughs> at least they're told to you, yeah. you can see that they're not necessarily buying it and and they, they don't really have the luxury of having a political opinion at the moment because they're just so entrenched and I, I did like that. that that was neat yeah and building off that the production design for this film I think is incredible especially uh, you know for, it was only 68 million which I mean it's not nothing, but it's not a huge budget. Um, and the if, I think they, they built a, a lot of these sets. I mean, I noticed very little CGI. This would have been, you know, 2001 CGI was still pretty new. So if they had a lot of it, you definitely would have noticed. Right. Um, but just the entire, every, every place we're in, we get, you know, these big wide shots because they're huge areas. They got to have these huge sniper battles across across you know courtyards and ent- entire buildings they had to have built a lot of this and i never once doubted that i was in stalingrad during world war world war ii just the entire setting it was so well built just the and the way it gave you that feeling of just you know the grit and grime and mud of battle uh it was went a long way it's just how immersive this film is you it the you know its internal consistency never takes you out of it, and uh, just that's pretty impressive. You know, for the size of its budget and for how expansive it was. Yeah, yeah. We never got anything that was too designed. You know what I mean? Like uh, the bases were just ramshackle places you would expect. Even like uh, some of the smaller effects, just like uh, you know when a bullet hits wood and it splinters just right. And yeah, I, I love that stuff. It was I ate it up, and I, I'm with you. It, I never once got taken out of the movie because, oh wait, there's some CGI there, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I did appreciate that as well. It, it actually, in a way, seems like watching this movie. I, I always feel like it's older than 2001 in a good way. Huh. I w- I always think it's newer than 2001 in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the reason I think that is because you know that that's an era that's famous for really really bad CGI, and they were just kind of learning when to use it and when not to use it. And this film already knew when practical was okay and when CGI could do the job. Because like I said, I couldn't tell, you know. And uh, it, it in that regard, it feels a bit older in a good way. But I, I see where you're coming from too. It also feels newer in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. It is definitely a good movie, and I, I see what you both mean by feeling both older and newer. It it does seem like the movie kind of learned the lesson that all of the other movies were still in the process of learning. It, it's not about using whatever the newest toy is. It's about using whatever whatever tool you have that does the job best. So there's, there's never really that glaring CGI moment. Uh, maybe if I went back to try to specifically find them, I might could, but I might not be able to, because just thinking about it right now, I, I don't think I can't think of any specific moments that felt 
disingenuous of the location. Even the aerial shots, I think everything about this, Stalingrad just looks like Stalingrad. It, it looks like I'm staring at, you know, this just ru- this city in ruin during wartime, whether it's the close-ups and, uh, you know, the broken-down buildings that we're actually stepping through, or these big shots of airplanes flying overhead. It always looks very real. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I guess uh, moving into uh, uh, something that I don't think any of us really cared for uh, was just the end. And I think it's probably the element that, that makes this movie, uh, you know, not a masterpiece. <laughs> right. The, the romance and, and the entire love triangle between uh, Vasily uh, Danilov and what was what what's ta- Tanya Tanya yeah Tanya, um, and then none of this is at all you know against Rachel Weiss she's a phenomenal actress and I think she she's excellent here, but it just it does it feels like this this is just the wrong movie for that it 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 just doesn't it doesn't fit with the tone and the style, and it it just feels like incredibly melodramatic in a film that is otherwise incredibly gritty and grim. Um, it just it, it, it and the film just grinds to a halt whenever it comes on screen, and I, I think that it just really brings the entire film down because a lot, unfortunately, a lot of time is devoted to that. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it it doesn't you know cripple the film as a whole, but it is a, is a huge flaw in my opinion. Although there was one scene that I do really like of it is when when they're first uh, introduced to her, and uh, and uh. Uh, finds character is making sure that she knows that the uh, facility can't spell, and he's like, I, "I know that word. You know, you don't have to tell me all of them." Uh, it's just a really cute little <laughs> scene, but otherwise, yeah, I could really have done without it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it um, it put unnecessary strain on the uh, the Joseph Fines character Danilov and uh, Vasily's relationship, but in in a really contrived way you know mm-hmm. i feel like uh it would have been more compelling for their for their relationship and their uh, turbulence in their relationship to be based politically like on the propaganda thing about yeah vasily not being comfortable being you know trumped up to what he's not you know stuff like that but instead they focus on this love triangle and it's it like you said it's distracting it brings the film to a halt it it I won't say it's terribly acted, but there's not much that's given to it, you know. Um, not not a good script for it. It's it just doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I had written down. You know, it, I think it would have been far more interesting. You know, since I, I think the the film does need drama, you know, to to have the tension be, you know, from you know, like how does the demands of the communist party, you know, force a wedge in between the friendship? Because I did really like the the kind of bromance they had going on, like in the first third of the film. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been far more interesting to have that, and you know, maybe have the war machine, you know, test Danilov's uh, uh, confidence of the communist party. You know, explore that that way. Yeah, but any anything but a love triangle, in other words. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in favor of cutting love triangles wherever they crop up, unless you have a really good fresh idea. But didn't you see Pearl Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, 
it it just felt contrived. It was just not for this movie. Um, there wasn't enough good motivation for it. I just it may have just been to score another demographic, but I'm not even sure it can do that. Yeah, if you're if you're not in this movie in the first five minutes, you're not gonna be in it. <laughs> you know, so I just I think it would have been better without it. Yeah, I can trace like all of my issues with the movie kind of to the whole the, the love triangle and the relationships that it has with with all three of the characters. One, I mean, the movie definitely has a pacing issue, and like Gabe's already said, the movie grinds to a halt, and I'm just kind of rolling my eyes and waiting for what I consider the real movie. As we read the synopsis, the movie is about the the exaggerations of his events and how it, it may have backfired and it draws in and a, an opposing sniper in this game of cat and mouse that they find themselves in. That That's the movie's own synopsis and that's what it's billing itself as. So for this to... To me, it almost feels like it took more screen time than, uh, than the opposing sniper's and whether that's true or not, it's still what it felt like, and that's probably just because the movie was moving so slowly. And something that you mention a lot, Gabe, is that you want to make sure that when you criticize something, you offer an alternative. And I was just thinking of different ways that the movie could have gone, and y'all definitely named one of them, which is just cut it out entirely and focus, have the, the, con, uh, the conflict between the two characters be grounded within the context of the time. Not like you can you can have a love triangle in any era, so to have this movie focus on the politics of Russia at the time and what it would do to friendships like that that would be way more interesting. Um, or if they feel like her character is still necessary and they want to go with this this love triangle, do something at least more interesting with it. I think one of the problems that the movie had was that Joseph Fine's character he was always a good actor. But it's like, at least what it felt like to me was his character would hit a milestone or something and it, it would change his character drastically. It was never, there was never any subtlety or growth to his character. The, the first third is this bromance that's, to me, fun to watch and just to see them get along and the, these two friends who both have two hugely different roles to play, but to see them come together in celebration was fun. And then we have one, one girl enter the mix and it, I, I think the movie would have done better to have this almost playful kind of attempt at both of the guys to vie for her affection and then to have that slowly kind of eat away at Joseph Fine's character because after that initial scene of him kind of pointing out that, you know, oh, you, do you need help spelling this word? It's like his character changes completely. It's just as this very quick moving downward spiral into a role of an, an antagonist. It, it's not natural and it doesn't feel like it's coming from the same character who gave that speech about giving people hope and this ideal. It's just the, the movie has now decided his role needed to change. So now every scene surrounding him is there essentially to vilify him. And then of course, late, much later on in the movie after he thinks Rachel Weisz's character dies, it's like another one of those big milestones is hit. And, and I understand why an event like that would, would change someone drastically, but even still, it just it, it, the movie then spent so much time vilifying him, and now it decided, okay, well, we want to redeem him, so this thing happens, and all of a sudden he's back to the good guy we all knew who he was, and now he's dead. 
it's there, there was never any sort of realistic growth or subtlety in what it was doing with this character. And I think it it could have been more interesting to watch to see him try to maintain a sense of honor while still unable to get rid of the fact that he is also in love with this woman and what that might slowly do to their friendship and watching it come apart that way as opposed to this the movie telegraphing oh he's the bad guy now um i just i I still would have preferred the love triangle to be eliminated entirely but i think if it's going to be included there was still ways to do it that has the characters remain interesting and real people and not just kind of have their roles change drastically because the movie demands it of them yeah i i think for me what I would have done is I, I would have removed the love triangle and and the tension between Vasily and Danilov would have been Danilov's uh, political ambitions um, where he, he's getting more and more ahead. And so he's I, I think it would be great to have him get more and more caught up in this, you know, in his own propaganda, so to speak, you know, and doing glory for the motherland and you know really pouring himself over that and then kind of throwing Vasily under the bus not in an antagonistic way but in just an ambitious way and I think that that scene where he was supposed to be redeemed would have been a lot more powerful if it hadn't been like a heartbroken person but rather somebody that just became disillusioned and realized you know what I need to offer my friend a chance you know just the way the way it played out um, I feel like Tanya was just a vessel for that scene to occur, and I just didn't buy into it the way I should have. Yeah, and the the real tragedy of all that is, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Joseph Fiennes, and you know, and I think him and Rachel Weisz are great actors, but it just it just kind of smears both their roles in the film and kind of turns you against them in a, a rather unfortunate way. Yeah. And then to talk about that scene itself, to me it felt very cheap. Um like like the movie the movie wanted to have its cake and eat it too. And so they wound Rachel Weiss's character just enough to make him think she's dead so that he can give, you know, his valiant redemption, you know, on screen. But, you know, obviously it's a wound she recovers from because they also want Vasily to be able to have the girl in the end. It's, it's it, it, that moment of her getting hit solely exists to give um, Joseph Fiennes this completely unearned, in my opinion, hero moment. I, I think it's unearned because I don't think his his downward spiral as a villain was earned either. So it's this this whole moment that's supposed to be very emotionally charged just becomes and the word you've been using is contrived and that's absolutely what it feels like there's so many moments that feel cheap and fake and they all happen just so that this moment can happen and uh like y'all said i I just don't really buy into any of it yeah yeah i did i did really like ed harris as the the real antagonist of the film (laughs) yeah yeah yes eventually more positives ed harris is (laughs) phenomenal he always is and yeah, he he has such a. There's something about just a feeling of you know resolve and conviction that he just like carries effortlessly, uh, you know wherever he goes. That 
I really, even though we get almost no characterization with him, you still can't wait till he comes back on the screen because he's just so you know absorbing. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think they um well, like you said, he's not a very well defined character, <laughs> you know. Um we don't get a lot of his, his backstory or what makes him tick or anything. But in a way I kinda like that. He's he's almost like a, a phantom. He's he's the sniper without a conscience. He's just there to make his mark and do his job and get out of there. He's in, in many ways the, the opposite of Vasily. And I liked that. And Ed Harris portrays it so well, and and the way he was manipulating that kid was just like, ah, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, he has this ability to just give that Ed Harris stern look, and I'll believe anything after he says it. Um, <laughs> he he just carries this confidence, and I believe that whatever he's saying, he's utterly convinced of, and he's saying it with the utmost conviction. And I kind of liked this way he kind of held himself to honor, but it, it wasn't exactly, you know, the, the same kind of honor that everyone else would, would think of because clearly his, his honor allows for hanging children. So right. obviously he's, he's not the, um, he's not an honor bound soldier. I think the way he would have you believe, but even still there's in his mind, he clearly thinks very highly of himself and he thinks highly of, some sort of soldier's code, you know, with him giving, giving the kid a chance, even though he knows the, uh, the, the child isn't going to end up staying home. I think in his mind, he's kind of done enough to be justified. You know, he says, we are both soldiers, so you must understand that what I'm about to do is justified because we are at war. And so in his mind, he's like covering all his bases to still live as this, this soldier who's abiding by certain codes of conduct. And it, it, I like that the movie never portrays that as something he struggles with. This is, this is just, in his mind, the way he sees it. He's not some sort of ruthless savage. He gave the child a chance. He's, he's always fought fair with uh, Jude Law's character. And he's, he's just a really interesting character to watch. And I, I do wish that the, the triangle was removed just for the sake of getting more time to spend with him, even if it's not defining his background. I still think there's a lot more that we could have seen with him because he was such an interesting character and he's very compelling to watch. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And and I think that, um, just like we said, Ed Harris just owns that role in, in a way that lesser actor would have made boring. Um, yeah, actually, for me, I I didn't like that they had him you know eventually hang the kid and you know make him into this monster personally i think i I think it would have been more interesting if you know both vasily and uh and uh, ed harris's character had been you know like honorable soldiers who are both you know fighting for a really horrible side who are just you know kind of trapped in this machine in the in the both the propaganda machine and in the war machine um who are just like men who you know could have been friends in another life, you know, who both who are very similar men are forced against each other in a fight to the death. I think that would have been more interesting, you know, than having one guy's the good guy and the other guy's he hangs kids. I mean, how bad how bad can you get? Yeah. It just it 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 again, you know, like the uh, like the um love triangle, it felt like, you know, a ch- kind of a cheaper ploy 
than to to uh, heighten the drama than the uh, film deserved. Yeah, yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, though, on the other hand, we had seen. I mean, granted, everybody knows how bad Nazis are, but well, clearly not. <laughs> nah, but seriously, yeah. Uh, Everybody knows how bad Nazis are, but we had seen most of the atrocities in this film be carried out by the side we're rooting for. <laughs> so, so I guess we we did kind of need something to make us give us pause and go, you know what, this guy is bad. Maybe he should lose. <laughs> I definitely see where you're coming from, and I I think it's that's always been a dynamic that I always enjoy watching these. These two people, like you said, could be friends in another life. Um, go at it, and you know it's going to be a fair fight. They both abide by the the same the same kind of code of conduct and honor. But I, I don't think it lessened how interesting I personally found the character because it was like he he did show up, and he initially does have. I like to think maybe maybe his own standard he held him, himself to might have changed over the course of the movie he shows up thinking that he's going to kill him fairly quickly and of course it drags out over the course of the entire movie and slowly and slowly he's he's willing to bend this code of contact while never acknowledging to himself that he's broken it by saying like oh i i gave i told the child not to come out and he still did and i'm a soldier and he's a soldier so i'm not I, i'm still abiding and by this this honorable code that our soldiers any honorable soldier would but we see that his obsession with um with killing Vasily has kind of taken over who he is and i think that's kind of uh proven just because of how he takes the news of him being sent home like at this point i don't think the war means anything to him anymore this is this man who has defied this great sniper for so long is kind of caused him to be obsessive to where he is willing to to be someone who he might not otherwise have been. And so while they're both snipers and they're they're both doing like playing the same kind of game, Vasily retains this sense of honor while the uh the other character, Ed Harris, does end up succumbing to his own obsession with this other person that he sees as an equal. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. And in, in an interesting commentary, uh, we, we just had to think of uh, what the Russians would have done to the kid if they had found that he'd been talking to an enemy sniper to begin with. Mm. I w- that, that, that would have been a bit of an interesting thing they should have elaborated on. Just enough to, you know, you could have had it, you could have thrown it out there, you know. Eh, they would have done the same thing. <laughs> Th- that's something else that I did kind of wonder at its inclusion whenever Josephine's character says oh he, he's defected and ritualized grabs his hand as if he's done something honorable that might have worked if we were on the the side of the u.s but it's like the russian like the, the whole russian government is trying to instill this idea of everything's for the motherland you 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 retreat you're gonna get shot and i was under the impression like you even you even speak words against stalin or or the army or the cause and bad things are going to happen. And here they are running away, and she's loudly proclaiming, maybe it's best that he defected. And uh, I don't know. It, to me, it didn't feel like that was... Obviously, it wasn't the right thing, in my opinion. 
But also, it still didn't even feel like, based in the context, it was the merciful thing to say, because there's there's really no, regardless of the outcome of the war or that specific battle, there's no real good outcome of that. He's either a Nazi and they win and you'll never see him again, and he's with the people that oppose every ideal you've ever been preached about, or he's a Nazi and he loses and your own army kills him, or you know he, he ends up marching on your own lands. I, to me, it just, based on everything that this movie has told us about this war and this this army and everything we know about it based on history, it just feels like that's that that's an odd thing to say as as words of comfort. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. It it's uh it, it was plot armor. <laughs> no one could have really got away with that. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know for what flaws there were in Ed Harris's character, his performance really just rides right over them. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the score earlier. Um, I did. Br- I, yeah, uh, very briefly, uh, there was only one re- one track I really cared about, and ironically, it's for the one character I definitely don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the tr- the the track. It's titled Tanya on the on the soundtrack, and I liked that track. That's the only track I liked, and it's for a character I don't like. What a cruel irony. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I had a problem with this score. Uh, first, uh, like in the first 10 minutes, I wrote in my notes, like, is the music supposed to be ironic? Because it was this really, like, inspirational, upbeat classical music to this, like, horrific slaughter. But, and then it just kept that entire tone in every scene of the film. It just felt like really, like, they just found various bits of classical music and copy pasted them over scenes without any kind of regard for the intention of the scene. It just, it just felt so out of place and jarring with the rest of the tone. I, I mean, I was really surprised when I saw it was James Horner just because of how much I did not like the, the music. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll say something positive. I, I actually liked the score overall with um with one exception and even that exception um I have to add a caveat to it I I think we heard those notes the just a few too many times <laughs> to me any any time to fill any sort of void in sound they just throw that sound that those few notes in there to be like remember action still happening you're still supposed to be paying attention here's the music yes I did score the entire movie even though I used these same notes 500 times throughout <laughs> um but other than that i maybe it's just music does different things for different people but i never took the, the music to be inspirational it just felt epic and kind of suitable for anything um whether the army you're watching is winning or losing and with the uh the the russian choir singing the thought that i had was if Russians made a war movie, this is exactly the kind, this is the score that we'd be hearing. This huge, bombastic Russian choir belting out as we see this huge war taking place in front of us. And then when we go over, um, or whenever it's in the more toned down scenes, we do kind of get the, it almost reminded me of what I'd hear in Call of Duty, these these very heroic um, brass horns playing 
so other than some repetitiveness, there was actually a lot that I personally enjoyed about the score. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of in the between you guys because, uh, like I said, there's only one track I really, really care for. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Gabe. It does feel a bit uh, ironic. And I don't think so in a good way. Like, I could have bought the ironic if it felt to me like this was, like, uh, propaganda music. But it felt more like the music equivalent of stock footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I just yeah, I didn't find anything special about it. And, and those those notes, that, 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 that like shock and awe type thing, that cue that kept coming up. You're right. That was that was a uh, a bit t- too many times for it, for that to be the case. It it did eventually distract some, but uh, yeah, overall, if that if that. If those notes are synonymous with a twist or some sort of reveal, then this movie had more than I could Yeah, think. yeah. I, in, in a way, it's semi-appropriate given that, like, um, really the way these sniper battles were portrayed is kind of like a um, – it is very cat and mouse in, in the sense that, you know, it's like, oh, they have the upper hand, but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I get what they were going for with that cue, but I think they could have done it a few less times or changed it to make it sound a little fresh in different cases or even just, you know, come up with a really deep note every now and then because that, that works as well. But, yeah, overall it's a score that I didn't care for a whole lot. All right, um, so is there anything else you guys wanted to mention before I move into final thoughts? Not that I can think of. Uh, I think I'm ready to move on. All right. Uh, so how about, how about uh, you, Ryan? You want to start? Just so you know, what do you want to leave with the audience about this film? It's not perfect. <laughs> we've, we've already discussed why it's not perfect. There's a lot of screen time devoted to a useless love triangle. but it's You repeated yourself there. Did I? You, yeah, useless love triangle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, it's got a lot of uh, moments of greatness that flicker through every now and then, though. I, I do appreciate that about the film. And uh, I think it's worth viewing just for those those moments of greatness. Because it could have been a masterpiece, if not for that for that doofy love, love triangle there. And uh, It's got some great sniper scenes that are iconic that I think, uh, even if the movie's not remembered forever, those moments, in a sense, will be because they've already been copied and immortalized elsewhere. It's got a great <laughs> legacy that I think, uh, if you like war movies, you owe it to yourself to, to see it at least once and just appreciate those those great sniper battles. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I would you know, echo what you said. And I think it's 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 just a really well crafted just uh portrayal of war um you know in in all of its horror and hell and i think it it, it, as as far as like it i would say this is probably you know the definitive sniper movie for me at least i think it it so beautifully portrays uh you know what it would it puts you right, right in the shoes of what it would be like to be both the sniper and the one and the target um and you know fantastic production design 
just a really seamless vision. Yeah, it unfortunately does have flaws. But also, I think it, it went farther than it need, needed to in some directions, like the political aspect. I found really fascinating. I like that it it didn't it didn't have to, you know, lie about the Russians. You know, try to make them more heroic and the Germans more evil. Um, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't go that direction, which I think would have definitely cheapened it if it had tried to make the Russians be these awesome heroes. Mm-hmm. And you know, spending that time. You know, diving into the corruption and the all the problems with the uh, and the you know the uh, propaganda machine. You know, there's this one image of the reporter stuffing the delicacies into his pocket at that the really fancy dress ball, which is like yeah. a perfect picture of communism in, in, in like communism in a, uh, in a in one image uh, that I, really stuck out to me. So yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it and you like war movies, there is a lot of good stuff here. I mean, yeah, you have to overlook some things, but it's definitely worth a look. For me, really, it's just echoing everything you guys have said. It is unfortunate that there's definitely problems with this. I kind of found myself thinking about the problems with this the same way I thought about um, the gargoyles in uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, where it's, (laughs) man, this out-of-place thing that the movie keeps cutting back to is ruining (laughs) an otherwise really great story. Um, unfortunately, I think it's more of an issue here because this is very deeply ingrained into the film's narrative. It's not something that can just kind of be cut out and let the movie continue. So it has flaws that can't be overlooked, but I'm willing to try to overlook those just for the sake of how good everything else in the movie really is. The way it portrays wide-scale war is to me really phenomenal. I think there's some great cinematography for this, the few scenes of typical warfare that we see. Uh, like y'all said, the production design is really great. It's just a good-looking movie. And it portrays this this aspect of war, of, um, of sniping, and the, the quietness of an otherwise very loud and abrasive kind of war in a way that you, you can't really find in other movies. And also, I think it's important to watch this movie just because it provides a different aspect on the war. Uh, it's it's weird to see a movie like this in which both sides are pretty bad. And uh, despite the fact that we definitely have a clear pro- uh, protagonist, it's still a very gray area. And uh, it's also, to me, one of the few instances of where we really get to see what the Russian side of this war looked like. To me, that that's enough to warrant watching this. So, despite my issues with it, I still think very positively of this movie, and I think it's definitely worth a watch. So, I guess the takeaway from this is, go play uh, Call of Duty uh, World War II games. Exactly. <laughs> Call of Duty 2 is one of the greatest war games ever made. Amen. Amen. And who's looking forward to the new one coming out? Uh, definitely me. I have been itching for a, a good World War II experience. Uh, it's just, I, it, it became cliche, and, and when it became cliche, I was sad because I, I am a sucker for World War II content, and I, I'm ready for Call of Duty to go back there. That's where they were at their finest hours, you could say. Yeah. All right, so that was our review of Enemy at the Gates. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, again, I'd like to ask you to please take a moment and go rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook, and if you want to find other, our other reviews, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. 
You can also follow us on Twitter. We are underrated underscore pod. And uh, Ryan, I want to uh, again give you another, just one more chance to uh, plug your whatever you are involved in. <laughs> you can find Article Asylum at articleasylum.wordpress.com. We're also at, on YouTube as Article Asylum, on Twitter as Article Asylum, and on Facebook as Article Asylum. Awesome. Um, and uh, next week we have another guest. Uh, we're having uh, Don Shanahan from Every Movie Has a Lesson, and we will be talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Have you seen that, James? I haven't. That's one that um, a few of my really good friends here really enjoy. And so now I'm, I'm finally forcing myself to sit down and watch it. Even though I shouldn't even say force it, it's, it's to me it looked really interesting. And the fact that it was really polarizing made it even more interesting to me. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, large parts of that felt like uh, someone wrote a biography for me. Uh, except for, you know, the parts where he actually does cool things. <laughs> so, until next week, we will see you later. See ya. Bye.